You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Um, it's actually nice to come visit you at Rail City. My name's John. I'm one of the pastors with our church, and once in a while I get to come and speak to you guys. Um, and it's such a beautiful place to, to do and to be the church. So uh, wonderful to come visit with you. Thanks for leading us, Josh. And I, just, I did want to say, Cam, um, I'm really thankful for, uh, for you and for Jess and just how you guys uh, demonstrate your faith uh, openly. And uh, that, that was really inspirational for me to, to see you guys and how much you trust Jesus. And so thanks for, thanks for doing that, man. We love you. Um, Today we're going to begin a new sermon series on uh, the practice of Lent. Lent is a 40-day journey that happens before Easter. Easter this year is on March 31st. And Lent is all about Christians taking 40 days out of their year to contemplate who Jesus is and what he did primarily in his work on the cross. What does it mean that Jesus died on the cross? Why did he do it? And from the cross, Jesus in our scriptures, he utters seven sayings. And so we're going to take the next seven weeks to talk about the last sayings of Jesus. Um, The first one we will read about is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What is the Christian teaching on forgiveness? How do we know what is a forgivable thing and what is not a forgivable thing? How do we even pretend to forgive when we can't? Do we just have to do it if we don't want to? What does it mean to forgive? What do the scriptures say and what is Jesus doing? And so today my hope is to answer these questions, but I do want to be honest about about this topic. As we broach the idea of forgiveness... There's a lot of baggage here. Uh, Forgiveness affects everyone. And so I just, I do want to just give you permission, okay? If you, if you're getting triggered by something that I'm saying, maybe particularly you're walking through trauma right now, um, you just can't listen to what I'm saying, that is okay. There's like total freedom and release to, to get up and leave the room. And no one's going to judge you for that. The reason I want to release you is because I know that this can be really hard. Um, and I just want to bless you, and I'm going to do my best uh, to honor you in that, but I just understand that this is a really difficult subject for many people. Um, So we are going to talk about forgiveness and what Jesus says in Luke 23, verse 34. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. So if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 23, verse 34, sorry, verse 33 and 34, and we'll read this together. Uh, And if you are able and you're willing to stand with me, would you, as we read God's word? Uh, The reason we stand as we read God's word is because it is is the most important thing I'm going to say today. We believe that this is God's sacred word to us in a very sacred part of our lives in the area of forgiveness. And so this is what it says in Luke's gospel. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing his garments among themselves. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word today. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for this church and this community at Rail City. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, that in this area of forgiveness, that we would hear uh, your kindness and your love for us. Lord, that you would maybe open our eyes to the ways that we have, in our misguided efforts, um, forced forgiveness. Lord, help us to receive it from you today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Please have your seats. So there is quite a lot that's happening here in Luke 23. And what's, you know, if we could take all the scriptures, it's maybe one of the most dramatic moments in all of the Bible. Okay, up to this point, Jesus has been betrayed by his friends. He's been condemned by a corrupt court. And now he's being sentenced to death, a gruesome death, a terrible death. Historically, one of the worst ways to kill somebody in history. And so we see Jesus coming to this point, tortured and sentenced to a dehumanizing death. And I don't want to just have this as a fact. I want us to feel the scripture this morning. I want us to have a meditative look on this. And so if you will, just to think about this with me. And we could take time to just meditate on what does it mean that Jesus did this? Where Jesus was hoisted up, right? Hoisted up onto a rugged, wooden, battered cross. And his, his hands, they put nails into the palms of his hands and into his feet. And that's what propped him up so that he could breathe because he was suffocating. And they jammed a thorny crown into his skull and, and torturing him. And, and he's bleeding out. He's, stri- he's stripped naked for embarrassment. There's bodily fluids everywhere. And it's in this moment that he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's in this moment that Jesus utters this saying, and it's a radical scene, right? And it's layered with so much irony, and I'm not going to talk about all of the detail around the cross. I really do want to focus on this idea of forgiveness, But I just encourage you to go and read this and study this and to take time this season of Lent to meditate on what does it mean that Jesus came to die? What does it mean that he died in the way that he did? Why did he do it? And to to feel your heart be filled with love for him again and to know his goodness and his kindness to you. My aim today is to answer the question, why? Why does Jesus say that? Why does Jesus say, Father, forgive them? They don't know what they're doing. And as I come to you today in a very expansive question to answer, I want us to just say one very simple thing in our sermon today. And it's this. It's that the crux of forgiveness is found in the intercession of the Son. Okay? The crux of forgiveness is is in the intercession of the Son. Do you know what the crux of something is? 
It's the very essence of something. It's the pinch point. It's the most important essential characteristic of what makes something live or die. It's the thing that makes it happen. It's the linchpin, the crux of something, the essence of the cross, the crucial element in our understanding of forgiveness is what? It's Jesus's intercession for you and for me. That's what this text teaches us. It's Jesus' advocation for you. It's Jesus' willingness to pray. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What this passage shows us is that the crux, at the crux of forgiveness, at the turning point, at the most essential part, what we see is the intercession of the Son of God. That's a, that's a beautiful and powerful and weighty truth. That at the very heart of forgiveness, we see a God interceding for you and for me. We see a God approaching forgiveness differently than we do. And this challenges the way that we often approach forgiveness in our lives. This will challenge the way, if you let it, it will challenge the way that you have approached forgiveness. Maybe the way that you've been trained to approach forgiveness. Maybe the way that your culture has taught you to approach forgiveness. Maybe it's just mindlessly inherited. But there are so many false and misguided ways that we approach this idea of forgiveness and we end up with with emptiness. Because at the crux of forgiveness, what we need to see is the intercession of the Son of God. For example, okay, think of it this way. Maybe, maybe the, the biblical account of forgiveness seems like a far-off idea from a faraway land, you know, Israel, 33 AD. That seems very far away. But think about in your own life, okay? When you face conflict in your home, maybe even just with the people you like, when you face adversity and conflict with those people, you have unrest in your heart. You have this deep-seated need to make it right. Even if you don't want to call it forgiveness, it's there. It's there, and we need it. And we, we want to fix the hurt that we've done to other people. If you were to ratchet it out to like a social construct, culturally speaking, we need forgiveness. We absolutely need what forgiveness is to live in a community with other people. It, living in community doesn't work without forgiveness, even if you don't call it that. If we're, if we're to talk about forgiveness theologically, it's actually quite simple, okay? Theologically, to forgive something means to pay for it. Okay, so if you were if you were to hit my car on the way out of <laughs> after church, we were bumping doors and scratch you scratch my car and, and you're like, oh my gosh, I scratched the pastor's car. What am I gonna do, right? And I run out. What are you doing to my car? Like what happened? And and you're like, oh, I I uh, such an accident, but I scratched it. And you owned up to it. And I said, Don't, oh, you know what? I forgive you, man. Where's your insurance? <laughs> uh, that's not forgiveness, is it? Because forgiveness says, I will pay for it. I'm just being polite, right? I'm not being forgiving. I'm being polite. But in our culture, that's what forgiveness looks like, right? So forgiveness means I will pay for it. I forgive you in simple terms means I will pay for it. And it is a complicated issue, and there is a lot of baggage around the idea. Most of us don't practice forgiveness very well. I read a great book um, probably the, the best treatment on forgiveness that I've read so far from Tim Keller's his last book that he wrote before he died. And it's called Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? 
And there's so much rich, uh, rich teaching in there. Some of, the, some of the observations I've made from his work are, I'm going to share with you today. I think it's going to be really helpful for you. So there's, what I'm seeing, and in part from, from Tim's teaching, is three misguided ways that people try to forgive in the culture that I live in. Okay, so the first one is cheap grace for self-actualization. Okay, people try to forgive with cheap grace for self-actualization. They're motivated by self-actualization. The second one is forgiveness as earned right-relatedness. Okay, this is very common, and we see this a lot. And the last one I'll hopefully get to in a short amount of time is non-forgiveness. Okay, non-forgiveness. So there's three ways that people approach forgiveness, and I think these are all common but misguided First one, cheap grace or self-actualization. The idea here is that, remember, these things aren't all bad. They're just misguided. The idea here is that the victim doesn't have a lot of power, but the power that they do have is the power to forgive. There's a therapeutic element. And that by forgiving the person who wronged them, they are growing as a person. And maybe you've heard this or taught to you, be the bigger man. Be the better person. Forgive and let go. Right? And so there's this teaching, this therapeutic help that we see. We, we realize the self-actualization. Uh, Carrie Fisher, uh, who you probably know better as Princess Leia, uh, was also somebody who was a, a writer and uh, aligned with um, minority groups uh, through her career, used her voice to help the marginalized. And she's really famous for saying, uh, this about forgiveness. This is something a lot of us have adopted. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for someone else to die. You, maybe you've heard that before. In my experience as a pastor, I would say that this view of forgiveness is the most common in the church. It's what I grew up with. It's what I was taught as a young man. This is, um, this is a misguided practice, so, and let me tell you why. Although it seems to mean well, it actually isn't biblical forgiveness because it doesn't address the harm, right? If we are to forgive quietly and silently and we're to just self-actualize and become a better person, we're actually not moving out into the, the arena of harm. And what happens is it actually doesn't help you forgive the person. It helps you be quite uh, bitter, and it could lead to even deeper hurt and an even more, un, uh, more complicated unforgiveness. Uh, people who approach forgiveness this way as merely individual uh, for their own self-actualization have been criticized uh, for releasing assaulters prematurely. And so <clears throat> what does this look like? Maybe, you, you, maybe you've seen somebody do this and you say, you're letting them off the hook. You're letting them off too easily. They need to answer for what they've done. And your instinct isn't wrong because this kind of forgiveness isn't addressing the harm. It's addressing the internal desire to be well, but it's not addressing the harm. Uh, If you've seen The Morning Show, have you guys seen that on Apple TV, The Morning Show? Jennifer Aniston plays this character who is is kind of a proponent of this thinking where she sees these negative behaviors happening in her workplace and she just internally forgives and she tries to give people the benefit of the doubt always and forgives that person in their heart and eventually her co-host blows up and it becomes a very difficult circumstance and Jennifer Aniston's character becomes a part of the problem that ended up hurting her in the first place. Um, 
this approach has been, this approach to forgiveness has been almost entirely abandoned by like the modern civil rights movement, entirely abandoned by the Me Too movement, uh, saying that it is propping up unjust power structures. And they're partly right. Is this how you view forgiveness? I'll tell you why. The, the reason forgiving someone easily and quietly isn't Christian is because Christian forgiveness is not cheap. Okay? It's not cheap because the harm we experience costs us greatly. If it's going to be Christian forgiveness, if it's going to be forgiveness that works, it needs to account for the great cost. It needs to account for the deep hurt that you or another person has experienced. Uh, the second misguided approach to forgiveness, which is in a lot of ways a reaction to this first one, is forgiveness as earned right-relatedness, okay? Earned right-relatedness. And there's a lot of anger, right? You, can you hear it? There's a lot of anger in this, man. You can probably feel it in the culture. Drive on Highway 1 for 10 minutes, I promise. Um, <clears throat> Rightly so, man. There is a lot of anger out there. There's a lot of anger in our world. And sometimes, <clears throat> honestly, partly, I'm not a psychologist, but sometimes I think the reason people are so angry is because the damage done to them personally is so irreversible that they don't know what else to do with it emotionally. And so they're angry. They're angry. Um, let me tell you why this is a, an overcorrection to the prior approach. Making someone earn their forgiveness, quite simply, isn't forgiveness at all. Making somebody pay for it just isn't forgiveness, okay? Um, no matter how normal it seems, even if everybody around you says, I'm making them earn that forgiveness, and they all act like it's forgiveness, <laughs> you're saying that word, but I don't think you know what it means, <laughs> You keep saying that word, but I don't think you're understanding what forgiveness means. Forgiveness means I'll pay for it. It doesn't mean I'm going to make you pay for it. The, we see this most vividly today in cancel culture, okay? If you don't know what cancel culture is, John's definition of cancel culture, okay? So it's when the majority opinion on an idea, somebody says something against that majority opinion, and the cultural influencers of that majority point the long bony finger at that person. I'm going to point at Josh because I know him. At Josh, and they say, you're canceled. You're canceled. That is not okay. And that person is now removed outside. And the only way that person can get back into the community is if the victim that, he, that they have done the wrong to, or the, if it is wrong or not, that's, that's up for debate. But the wrong that they've done to that victim, that victim now determines the price of getting back into the community. You want to come back into this community? You better earn your forgiveness. You want to be forgiveness? I'm going to tell you how. You need to kowtow. Forgiveness in this approach can only happen when the offender is willing to do whatever the victims say. The problems with this approach are, are many, uh, and it is, um, it's kind of a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's saying it's forgiveness, but it's not. Um, a couple holes I'll poke in it, and maybe this is you. I've seen this in myself. So a couple questions I'll poke. Um, and I mean, I mean this with, with, with all due respect. Uh, there are many victims in this world. I will say, as, as a victim, okay, was I really able to determine fair judgment of my wrongdoer? 
Personally, I wasn't. I think the second thing I would say to that is who determines then what is fair? How do you know what's fair? How do you know what the price ought to be to get back into the community? And at what point is the punishment worse than the crime? Who can know what is good? Only God. So the problem with forgiveness as earned right relatedness is that, you know, we can't, I have three daughters, we can't put the toothpaste back in the bottle, okay? Once it's out, it's out, man. Once you have said the words, you can't put them back in. And that's the problem with forgiveness as earned right relatedness is you can't undo what you did. So you'll never be able to fix what happened. You can't earn your way back. Christian forgiveness is not earned. It's not earned because we cannot undo our wrongs. If it's Christian forgiveness, if it's forgiveness that works, then it means that justice will be done on the wrong and justice will be done on the wrongdoer. That's what it means. And it exists. The third approach to forgiveness we often see is non-forgiveness. And uh, maybe I'm just getting older, or maybe this is getting more popular. <laughs> I can't tell. Um, non-forgiveness. And this is where we look at the hurt. You know, we see this more and more. Maybe as you're growing, as I am, every day we, we become more individualistic, and we kind of become more secure in our personal worlds, and we kind of cut ourselves off from the need for community. And to, to engage in a, in a hurt, it just takes a lot of work. And I don't know if I want to do that work. And so it's actually easier for me, A, not to forgive them, and B, just cut them out. And non-forgiveness is a, is a just groundswell in our culture. And it just, it just propagates isolation. We cut ourselves off from everybody that we have an issue with. We see less of a need to try to repair a fractured relationship. We become more transactional, less willing to build strong friendships, and more willing to bail when things become difficult. Why? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to you? I don't know all the reasons. I'd say one reason is because when a fresh wound, right, reminds us of an old hurt, we, we, see, we, we survey the mountain that it's going to take to forgive this person, and it's a lot of work. And so we bow out, and we build a friendship another way with someone else. People find forgiveness too costly today. They find their hurt too irreversible to forgive. I saw this interview recently uh, from, a, from a man named Eli Weissel, who was a Nobel laureate, but that's remarkable. And also he was a survivor of the Holocaust. And I want to tell you what he said because he captured this so well in this interview. When he was asked, um, when he was asked, Eli, will you ever be able to forgive the Nazis? Uh, what he said, I thought, captured this so well. And I want to read it for you. He said, who am I to forgive? I am not God. No, I cannot forgive. I think it's just so well put. That, is, that just articulates the heart of the person who doesn't want to forgive. And his point is well taken. If forgiveness is impossible, then it's better to cut ties 
But if forgiveness is possible, uh, then only God can do it, and we're not God. And so in our culture, we're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. We have this desire to forgive, and yet we don't know how and don't think we can, right? Many today agree with this, and it actually does seem morally inappropriate to forgive a great evil. If you were asked to forgive the Nazis, you would feel like that's really awkward. If you were asked to forgive, you know, treachery that has happened in our own nation, you would say, I don't think this is my place. It feels morally inappropriate. So how can we? Can Jesus show us a way to approach forgiveness that isn't inappropriate, that is beautiful, that is Jesus-centered? How does he help us do us? How, how does he help us do it? Let's, um, let's look back to the cross. Okay, so biblical commentators, when they're talking about the crucifixion, they say, they write down what, uh, they, they talk about what is written down about what Jesus said. Uh, they actually tell us that people who were crucified uh, didn't say nice things. Actually, they yelled curses to their torturers. They hated them. They said that God's going to crush you. Even the most altruistic people who were crucified would still yell out judgment. And yet, in Jesus, we see this different example. On the cross, Jesus is demonstrating his earlier teaching. He's practicing what he preaches. Jesus is blessing those who curse him. Blessing and not cursing them. He's forgiving his offenders. He's turning the other cheek. He's doing. On the cross, Jesus is advocating that his enemies would know the justice of God in his forgiveness. On the cross, Jesus is laying his life down that others might live. From the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. I believe Jesus was praying that the soldiers that were crucifying him and, and the person standing, the, the other two that were being crucified with him would actually come to know the transformational love of God and his justice of forgiveness. That they would actually come and experience this, that they would receive God's forgiveness in humility and change. I believe this is what Jesus was praying. In some ways, the cross, um, what Jesus did on the cross is really simple. It's quite easy to behold, to look at the cross and to see what happened. We see God's profound love in dying so that we might live. It's simple to see the great lengths to which he will go to show you how much he loves you. In some ways, it's obvious. In other ways, it's mysterious, right? How exactly does that pay? <laughs> can, you, can you show me apples and oranges one-to-one? It's hard to quantify all the mysteries of the cross. But very practically, there is one thing we can see, and it's how Jesus practices forgiveness while he's paying for it. Even on the cross, while his torturers are gambling his clothing away, Jesus is able to look to God and surrender his enemies to his Father. He's able to give that over to God. Uh, one thing we see in Jesus is a demonstration of forgiveness, and this is key. As he hands over the fate of his enemies to the justice of God, either for their condemnation or for their forgiveness. This is what it means to approach forgiveness in a Jesus-centered way. I like how uh, one theologian put it, Amy or Ewing, once said this. 
She said, Christian forgiveness is only possible when the victim hands over the wrongdoer to the justice of God. I'll read that again. Christian forgiveness is only possible when the victim hands over the wrongdoer to the justice of God, to the one who determines what is right and wrong, to the one who determines punishment, to the one who determines forgiveness. And this might look different if you're the wrongdoer or the victim. And so I just want to take a few extra moments to talk about uh, what this would look like and expand on what it means to live in a Jesus-centered way of forgiving. So maybe this is you today and you seek, you, you know your life better than anyone in this room. I've been talking about forgiveness for 20 minutes, right? What does it mean for you to, re- to receive forgiveness for what you have done? If you choose to accept the forgiveness that is freely offered on the cross, it is free, it is amazing, it is transformative, but there is a requirement in a way. It requires uh, your repentance. It requires you actually acknowledging the wrong that you did. It requires you actually stepping into the light and saying, I did it, all of it. It was me, and I need help, and I can't do this on my own. God, would you forgive me? It means owning it entirely. This is what it means to forgive, to repent. Uh, Metanoia, which means thinking anew, we must acknowledge the harm that we've done. And if you do this, instead of avoiding the reality that your wrongdoing has made, okay, whether you like it or not, the reality is out there. Instead of avoiding that reality, you're choosing to see reality, and realize the consequences of your harm. When you do this, you will receive the forgiveness of God. And it is, it is light. It is beautiful. It is restful. Um, you, will see, you will receive the forgiveness of Jesus for the immeasurable harm that you've done. You will be set right with your maker. You will come to know him and to love him without any blind spots. And you also will receive the civil consequences. Okay? Part of, the, part of the, the battle that people face and the fear that they have with forgiveness is they don't want to face consequences. Christian forgiveness does not let you off the hook. Christian forgiveness restores you to God. And it does sometimes mean a civil consequence. Here's what it does, though. It gives you courage and bravery to face these consequences, knowing that you are totally hidden and loved in Jesus Christ, that there is no consequence that is too hard for you. There is no jail time that's too too insane. There's no fine that's too expensive. There's no social penalty that you can't pay because you are known and fully loved with God. And so you can approach any consequence with freedom. You can approach any consequence with joy, knowing the deep power of forgiveness in your life, that you, that you are forgiven. And now you can live in the reality that you have in part helped make. This is what it means to receive forgiveness. In accepting your need for forgiveness, you are owning up to what you've done. And in faith, you're relying on God's justice. You're relying on the justice of God and his forgiveness to free you from eternal consequence. And now any temporary consequence that you face is itty bitty bitty in light of what Jesus has done for you. You can do it with his help, right? 
Now, it, it, does, it does become a different application if you are not only the person seeking to be forgiven, but you're the one who's trying to forgive. How many of you know what I'm saying? <laughs> this is hard. Trying to forgive when it hurts. How do we do it? How do we not do some of these other misguided attempts? Um, if you seek to forgive another, if you choose to extend Christian forgiveness to someone who has wronged you, I'll say this, okay? And I want to be very, very clear about this because the church has not been clear about this. You are not releasing your abuser to go on abusing other people. That's not what Christian forgiveness is, okay? Christian forgiveness is not about uh, letting abusers live consequence-free, Here's why. Christian forgiveness means if a person is to receive forgiveness, it means that they will repent. It means that they will actually own up to what they did. Otherwise, they have not received it. Otherwise, they have chosen condemnation instead. Christian forgiveness is not about letting abusers or offenders off consequence-free. Christian forgiveness is about you handing your offender over to the justice of God, either for their condemnation or for their forgiveness. Christian forgiveness teaches us that if you've been harmed, you can release your need for vengeance on the one who's wronged you. You can release your need. Christian forgiveness hands over their offender to the justice of God. Either, either that person who you have given over to God will, will change, and either they, and, or they won't. And the, the consequences they face are incredible. As we look to the cross of Christ, we see Jesus offering his life that we might be saved and interceding for his enemies praying that his torturers would come to know and to experience the redeeming forgiveness of God. When it comes to, uh, when it comes to our forgiveness, it's important that we remember that, that it's not it's just about making us feel right on the inside. It's about addressing this great harm that's been done to us and done to others and that it is addressed in Jesus on the cross. When it comes to forgiveness, it's not earned. There is nothing you can do. If you show up on heaven's door one day, okay, and an angel says, what are you doing here? If you answer the question, because I, you know, because I did this, and because I went to church, and because I did Bible study, because I became a Christian when I was 13, because I did communion, baptism, because I went to theological training, because I'm, because I, because I. If, you, if that's your answer, you have missed the point of forgiveness, the point of forgiveness is you ought to answer because he, because Jesus did it, because Jesus told me I could be here, because in his justice, he forgave me, because of what he has done, not because of how hard I tried, not because of how hard I worked or how well I lived, but only and purely because of who Jesus Christ is and what he has said about me. This is what it means to live in a forgiven life. The crux of forgiveness is the intercession of the Son. Without Him, you're lost. Without Him, there's no forgiveness. 
So as we close, I just want, to th- I want you to think back to a time when someone asked you for forgiveness. Maybe it helps to close your eyes, but go back to a moment. I can, you know, I can recall it because I have, I have little kids. <laughs> uh, but think back to a time in your life, maybe it's recently, when somebody asked you, will you forgive me? What did you feel? It's okay to let the feeling happen. What did you feel? When I do this, I think uh, I felt cold. I felt anger. I felt, I, I felt vengeful. Now, as you, as you remember, as you remember the cross of Christ, to say, these are not my things to do. This belongs to the Lord. It's his justice that I, that I am counting for myself and to pour it out on another person. As, you, as you're asked to forgive and you don't want to, there, in that moment, God is giving you an opportunity to experience his love again for you to learn how to accept forgiveness once again, to receive it for your own life. And then when you have received forgiveness, you can spend it freely. Because it's, it's, not, it's not from you. It doesn't end in you. Uh, so, many, so many psychologists and writers will say that forgiveness almost never feels good. And that's okay. It is a theological truth that we rely on. Because of, not because of how I feel right now, but because of the intercession of the Son. How could I not say, I forgive you? And we do this liturgically. We do this over and over again. And, and eventually, hopefully, God blesses you with the feeling that you want. But we're not formed merely by the feeling. It, we are informed by it. As we forgive others, we do it not as a denial of the wrong, but in spite of their sin. So just a few questions for you. In your life today, as you come to church, if you're like me, just to survey your week, do you need forgiveness today? Is there an area in your life, just between you and God, I'm not going to make you stand up, but just between you and God, is there an area in your life where you need his forgiveness? Maybe to contemplate um, the three misguided ways that we've talked about. Have you been approaching forgiveness in a, in a misguided way, in a non-Jesus way? How, what do you want to change about that? Uh, be sensitive here, but it, I, just, I do feel led to ask you, is there a person in your life that God is asking you to share his forgiveness with? Is there a person? Maybe all it is is just naming them in your head and saying, Lord, I don't know how. But with Jesus' help, you can do it. You can do it with his help. We're going to move to a time of communion here. And communion servers, you guys can come forward and get ready. What is communion? Communion is, at, at the heart, you know, one, one theologian said, Christians should drop the name Christians and just call themselves forgivers, because that's what we're all about. We're about receiving forgiveness and sharing forgiveness. Communion itself is a worship service celebrating the forgiveness of God. As we come to the table, what we're doing is we're taking these, 
these thoughts and these notions that we've had as we've gotten into God's word, and we're, we're realizing that it's real, and that we can come to the table and receive from God the forgiveness of God and his justice in that, that we can bring everything that we are, warts and all, before the table and, and, and refresh ourselves and say, Jesus, forgive me. Give me the strength to live in your forgiveness. Help me, Lord. Help me to know your love for me, that I would love others with that same great love. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.